Rabbi Menachem Liebtag, the Shemitah year and its connection to Shavuot and Mount Sinai. There's a word which we use in English and Hebrew, which sort of relates very much to this morning's shir and also to Jewish history in general and Jewish history this week, this month. Uh, the word in English is called Nisoyon. And in Hebrew, Nisoyon. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're going to find the word in our share today, but I want to explain the difference uh, between this word and a different word. Uh, how would you say Nisoyon or Nisoyon in English? Uh, a trial. Yeah. Give me, give me, uh, give me an easier word. A test. Like Avram was put to the test at the Akeda. but also an experience for now. There's another word in Hebrew for a test. Mifchan. Now, when would you use the word Mifchan, and when would you use the word Nisayon? I'll give it a simple example. If a teacher taught a course and wants to sort of figure out. Did his students, um, did his students understand the material? So what does he have to do? He has to make an assessment. Did my students understand the material? He administers a mifchan, a test. Now, who learns information from that test? The teacher. The teacher figures out what the student understood. The student didn't learn anything. He just gave over the information he knows. And nisayon is exactly the opposite. It's an experience that the person being tested is going through that makes him who he is. You follow the difference? A mifchan is for the teacher, and nisayon is for the student. And therefore, any life experience, or any general experience that people go through, that they learn from, that's when we use the word nisayon, and the best translation, if you know your Yiddish, is, should be a nisayon, kind of idea. <laughs> now, um, I'm going to use that as an introduction to start to share, uh, because the title, um, I mentioned this yesterday, the title isn't always the topic. You know the word of thumb? The title is what the people want to hear, and the topic is what the teacher wants to teach. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to Shemitah. We picked this title this year because it's a Shemitah year. So I gave uh, Rami a list of like 30 topic, 10 topics to pick from. And of course, right, he didn't even look. He said Shemitah, and he, he put it in. <laughs> now, um, before we get to Shemitah, one other word, which if you know this part, then don't answer it. But uh, there's a, a word called Omer. We're past that already. There were three weeks. Those are seven weeks. There's five weeks in between. Um, but everyone knows the Omer. We count the Omer. If someone asked you, what does the word Omer mean? Everyone, they've heard of the word. Like for, for, if you're in the catering business, you hear the word Omer? Yeah, it means you're out of business. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I heard some people say a measure. I'm sorry. An Omer means a measure. Or uh, some people said it means a sheaf. Sheaf. Or, or the plural. A sheep. Like, you know what a sheep is? When you harvest the wheat. That little thing that wheat grows on. It's a sheep. Some people say that's what it means. Some people say it's a measure. Okay? Any other things you heard of? It's something you count. <laughs> How do you know you count an omer? We just spell omer or be omer or le omer. Some people I heard make, make, say the bracha twice or, <laughs> not that the bracha twice, but they, you know, it's like, like, uh, but in the suffix, you say, you say the same thing just to cover your bases. Now, why does the word Omer have so many different meanings? That's also strange. So here's what we're going to do in the shir, and I need, need to sort... Everyone have a source sheet? Oh, where are the source sheets? Oh, they're outside. So where's the guy in charge? Um, yeah, so bring the source sheets. I could use one. And pass. If you don't have a source sheet, raise your hand. Okay, so you can't outload to it. Yeah. 
So pass these around and we'll be in good shape. And now we'll start the share in about one minute. Okay. Um, and of course, everyone has, they were rolled up as everyone has either a Tanakh or a iPad with a, with a Bible inside. <laughs> okay. Raise your hand if you, have, if you need a source sheet and they'll be coming around. Yeah, we're going to get that in a second. Okay. This one, yeah, one for here, and we're good. We're good. Okay. Here's how we're going to start. We're going to start like this. We're going to start with Bamidbar, I mean, sorry, Sefer Shemot, Perak Zion, chapter 16, in Sefer, in Sefer Shemot. And we're going to look at the first time the word Omer is mentioned. For the purpose of the shir, for the first 10, 15 minutes, we're going to trace the word Omer in Chomesh to figure out what it means. Whenever there's a word that doesn't come up too often, the best way to understand it is where does it come up first, and that's usually going to um, help us understand how it develops later on. Want to take a wild guess just how many times the word Omer is in the entire Tanakh? Is it a common word or not so common? Definitely not common. 25? You're about half right. <laughs> Almost half right. <laughs> it's about 14. If you conquer Dante, I think it's 14 times with probably four different meanings. <laughs> uh, f- 14 times altogether. If you believe in the concordancia. No. no. What we're going to do, we're going to study the first time. And in light of that, we're going to figure out what's going on. Okay. We're going to start with Perak Zion. And where are we in Chumash? We left Egypt. We're not at Mount Sinai yet. We're on the way. And how far of a distance is it from Egypt to Mount Sinai? How far of a distance? Not in kilometers, but in days. In, in the Bible, distances were measured in days. Remember when the month falls, it's like a day's distance this way, a day's distance that way. Uh, Yaakov puts a three-day distance between himself and his brother-in-law, his uncle, his bro- yeah, with Lavan, with the sheep. Now, how far of a distance is it from Egypt to Mount Sinai, according to Chumash? It's a three-day distance. How do we know? It says so, maybe 10, 20 times. Remember, what's Moshe always asking for? We want to go a three-day distance into the desert to serve our God. And they do that. It's a three-day distance from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Now, um, how long does it take him? You said 49 days. Why does it take so long? So they didn't have a GPS. They got. <laughs> we're going to see, okay? Because yeah, we, we didn't. No, that, then they wouldn't have gotten there at all. That's that, that's a great problem. Why says there's lots of reasons we didn't go that way. There's always more than one reason for everything. If there's only one reason for an event in the Bible, it's not. It can't be. There's no event that doesn't have at least two reasons, even creation. Yeah. Now, um, but that's everything works that way. Ask your kids. How come we did this? When, when you ask a child, you know, ask him why he did something, his parents will hear one reason, his girlfriend will hear a different reason. <laughs> but it's the same person. And they're both right. Now, um, we're leaving, we're traveling from Mount Sinai, from Egypt to Mount Sinai. It should take three days, but we can't get there until we're ready. Got the idea? Therefore, there's going to be a whole set of experiences that we go through to get us ready for the big event. And that's going to be exactly the word for that readiness those events that we go through, each one is going to be called a Nisayon. And we need a Nisayon because we're not ready yet to receive the Torah. We're ready to be free. We're ready for freedom. We're ready not to work for our old master. Are we ready to accept a new boss? 
That's going to take a bit of training. And that's going to be the purpose of why a three-day journey is going to take seven weeks. Actually, they go three days and the water's bitter. Remember? It means they're not ready. Um, they had one good experience. Remember, they went to Elim, Palm Springs. There's 12, 12, how many? 12, uh, 70 palm trees and 12 Mayanot, 12 springs, which is just by chance, those numbers. Remember, there's 12 tribes, 70 nations. Everyone knows the relation between a spring and a palm tree? The spring enables the palm tree to give its fruit. Now, that was a good experience. That was the end of chapter 15. In chapter 16, in Parakat Zion, listen how it begins. It's the first date in Chumash since we left Egypt. Everyone knows what date we left Egypt. We're not sure if it was morning or evening, but we know the date. We left on the 15th. There's a holiday about it. Um, also in Nisayon. <laughs> we left on the 15th of Nisan. A month later, we're still in the desert. We're not in Matsana yet, but we run out of food. We went to a new place called Midbarsin. Not Midbarsin, not Midbarsin. And there's no, and we know the date. 15th of the year, remember the date. Um, what do people do? Even when there is food. And they complain. If you want us dead, you should have killed us there on a full stomach. Why here? Listen to God's answer. Pasuk Dalit. It's on the source sheet. It's going to be... Oh, we, on the source sheet. Yeah, we're still at the end of A on the source sheet. Pasuk Dalit. What am I going to do? It's going to rain bread. Remember the word mamtir in Hebrew? Is, is a verb for anything that goes from heaven to earth. It can rain cats and dogs. If it's coming from heaven down to earth, it's called matar, even if it's bread. If it's water, then it's classic matar. But anything coming from heaven to earth is matar, which is a key theme in the Bible, isn't it? The word matar? Because God, I think in the beginning, God made shemaim and aretz, and they appear to be separate. But does anything connect shemaim to aretz? So rain does in one direction. And man does in the other direction. If you, that's how Perak Bet begins. Remember, there's no Hashem Lohim Tir, and there's no Adam, no man to pray. Now, look what happens next. God says, I'm going to mamtir lechem in Hashemayim, v'yatsam v'loktu dvaryom biyomo, l'man anasenu hayelech b'torati imlo. And that was my introduction. Hope it's clear. But why is God giving us this test, and this sayon of the man, to test them, will they follow my Torah, yes or no? In other words, before they're going to receive 613, I need to make sure they're ready to follow at least two. Sounds like Gan Eden, doesn't it? When we finally make man, right away, he gets a, a test. You can eat everything, but... As soon as we begin, we, we have kashrut right in Gan Eden. Now, let me, I want to explain why. Um, there's something happening from the beginning of Chumash um, where God is developing a relationship with man. Now, the way nature works, of course, God made nature, is that there's two things that pretty much motivate man's behavior. Man as an individual needs to live, and therefore he needs to eat. You might have noticed. You don't have, you don't, you have, no one has to train you to eat. It comes naturally. And not the individual has to live, the species has to survive, and therefore there's this also instinct to have children. There's this, that's called purvul. Okay? And that's what we call nature. The first chapter of Breshit is all about nature. Remember that. Uh, because how many days did it take? I mean, six or seven, but the idea of a Jewish week, the idea of a week in Chumash, always relates to nature. 
Because someone might think there's a sun god and a moon god and a nature god and a fertility god. And, and everything that God creates in the seven days of creation is, has to do with nature. Ancient man logically thought that nature was many gods. In fact, what's the word for a god in Hebrew? Elohim. Uh, Eloha, I'm sorry. Eloha is a god. Many gods would be Elohim. And how does Chumash teach you that what appears to be many gods is really one god? But it does, it makes a mistake in the first, in its first opening line. It's, it conjugates Elohim in the singular. You follow how, how quick Chumash gets right to the point? I want to teach you that what appears to be many gods is one god. They call that monotheism. And ancient man logically understood there's gotta be, the sun has, everyone thought the sun was a god. Chumash is telling you it's the son of God. That's day four. Remember, the God makes the sun, and He gave him the S U N. Dangerous. needs to teach you that what appears to be many gods is one God, and we have this beautiful custom of taking a break one day a week to reflect on creation and creativity, and and recognize that what we call nature is really all coming from one God, even our ability to be like God and to be creative. So we stop creativity one day a week to reflect on that there is a creator. And therefore, whenever I have the number seven in Chumash, it's always going to relate to something that has to do with nature. Now, these two voices in a, in a human being, I need to eat and I need to keep my species going, what's called instinct or nature, uh, has a partner. Because let's say um, Eve is in the, sees a beautiful apple and she wants to eat it. What would her instinct tell her? Go for it, right? But let's say that apple belonged to Lilith. You know who she was? Whoever she was. Let's say it belonged to somebody else. Right? Would she eat it or not? Well, she... Depends how good it looked. <laughs> or, or I'm sure she would let me in. But listen, there's another voice telling you, not a divine voice, but it, and, and it sort of... In, you can argue, Darwin might argue it might be instinctive. There's a moral voice. Yeah. There's, because I'm a member of society. If it belongs to somebody else, I won't take it. It's called stealing. Now... Um, Tons of people don't believe in God but won't steal. And tons of people believe in God and do steal. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that, is that there's another instinct in human beings not to steal. There's, I call it a moral voice. And therefore, there's two things that pretty much guide your behavior. Your, natural, your animal instinct to eat and your society instinct to be moral and take only what belongs to you. Make sense? And God's not in the picture yet. Humus introduces a third voice. Who's that? God. And what's he tell you? What? Don't eat that apple. And therefore, everything a human being does has three voices now. What does my animal instinct tell me? What does my social instinct tell me? My moral instinct? And what does my God tell me? Now, someone who doesn't have the third voice, God is not in his life. Make sense? He can live wonderful. If I want to put, if I want to bring God into my life, I need what they call in Hebrew, halacha. You understand? Or a chok. And therefore, it can't make sense. Do you follow why the rabbis say, Chukim don't make sense, or don't have to make sense? The second I live my life, and I have another set of, we would say values, set of laws that guide my behavior, that have nothing to do with common sense, and nothing to do with natural instinct, but only because God said so, then I can walk, God's in my life. Now, I can assume there must be some reason why He gave me that strange law, and I can look for reasons for the mitzvot, like the Rambam brings. But the basic concept of halacha is, it can't make sense, because if it made sense, it's not God. You follow? And therefore, we're always in the, the chukim, makes sense or don't make sense, that sort of solves the problem. 
And therefore, in order to bring God in your life, you have to keep halacha, whatever that might be. And therefore, it begins in Gan Eden. And it's interesting, the halacha goes right with your, sort of goes against your animal instinct. This you can't eat, this you can't eat. And the second we get to the desert now, and we're training a nation to be God's nation, the first nisayon is going to be something related to food, which should, shouldn't surprise us. But the purpose of this one is going to be, Make sense? Now let's watch, watch, watch what happens now. What does God say now in Pasek Pasek Hay? Um, and they can take double. Now, that sort of, it, it jumps right to the point without explaining. If I explain what's going on, you know this. How many laws come with Amman? Halachot. How many laws come with Amman? It's, God's, it's going to rain bread. How many laws come with it? Yeah. There's two laws. There's a weekly law that you can't take on, you can't take on Saturday, but you can take on, take double on Friday. Yeah. Now, how do they know when Friday is? Well, when, when I guess when, is there any mention since creation of the Sabbath day? No. There's no mention after the first chapter of creation, which according to Chazal we were given in Har Sinai. We don't hear in Pshat, we don't hear about our forefathers keeping Shabbat. In Egypt they didn't keep Shabbat. There's no mention of anyone now keeping Shabbat. There's no mention of a week anywhere. I think even in ancient culture. There's different ways of breaking, but there's no logic to a week. There's logic to a month, to a year, to a day. But the idea of a week, other than the first chapter of creation, begins here. Now, how do the Jewish people know what day is Friday? There's no good Friday yet. (laughs) Because there's a double portion on Friday. Maybe that's where the name comes from. Now, but how do they know what Friday is? They didn't have calendars. Well, the answer is simple. What did they do? No, they counted the days. (laughs) And the first day it fell was day one. It's day two, you follow? And the sixth day it fell was double. And the next day was Shabbat. And therefore, what, what is the first Shabbat in Jewish history? You understand what I'm getting at? What's the first Shabbat in Jewish history? This will be key for this year. The first, the first day the man didn't fall, but what was the first day the man fell? Wait, in, in, yeah, the first, the first Sunday. But what day of the month was it? Wait, wait. They, they ran out of food on the 15th of year. I told you the day was important. Remember? This would be hard math now. The man began following the next morning on the 16th. So the first Sunday in Jewish history was the 16th of a year. Make sense? The 16th, just like you'll see how that date's going to come up again later on. If you want to joke around for high school kids, what happened on that first Sunday? What fell? The man. So what was the first Sunday? Someone. Okay. <laughs> that's for... For high school kids, but that's bad. <laughs> that's worse. That's worse than the Son of God. That was. <laughs> now, but you, you remember that now. The first Friday is not going to be the twenty-first. The first Shabbat, the twenty-second. Okay, did they keep or not? Because there were two laws. You can't take on Shabbat, and the other law was a, there's a daily law. How much can you take? As much as you need, right? But not as much as you want. Enough for your family, like. Uh, a little container. We'll see in a minute. Now, um, the first Shabbat, it says, we'll read later on, they didn't keep. Have, what was the next Shabbat? Do the math. The 29th. I can assume they kept, considering the last week they went to collect the thing was there anyhow. They learned the hard way. They learned through like Pavlov's dog. Remember, they took too much, and what happened? It got worse. So you learned why I slept so much the next time. They went out the first Shabbat to collect, didn't find any. Stay home and read the paper. Now, 
Um, now, 29th. When was the next Shabbat? The 36th. No, there's no 36th. When was the next Shabbat? Well, it depends what the Rosh Chodesh was, right? It's either going to be the 6th or the 7th, depending on whether it was the 29-day month or 30-day month, right? Which just so happens to be what day? Or Matan Torah. Now, if you know your Masechet Shabbat, what day was the Torah given? The rabbis can't, can't get it straight, right? Was it this, they argue, like we do. Right? But everyone agrees that what? The Torah was given on Shabbat. You follow? Everyone holds the Torah was given on Shabbat. It's called Shabbat. It's in Shachrit and uh, Shabbos davening. The argument was, was it a full month or a, uh, a short month? But either the 6th or the 7th. But the second Shabbat in a row that the Jewish people kept, we received the Torah. I'm sorry about that. Okay. The second Shabbat in the row that the Jewish people kept, there's a, there's a medrash like that, right? Or something? If we do it again, two in a row? We see where it comes from? No. But what we see from here is the whole man experience is the last three weeks that prepares for Matan Torah. Why? That should be clear now? Now we get to the word Omer. How much were we allowed to take? That's going to be source A2. How much can you take? One Omer per person. So someone said it was a measure? How much can you take? You can take a... Uh, no. So, but how much, so that doesn't help us, does it? We don't know what an Omer is. But there's a footnote at the end of the chapter. Okay, take a look at the footnote. In, in source A4. In your Chumash, it's the last line of Perak Zion. You see what I mean by footnote? We do that now, nowadays, endnotes. Uh, this is an endnote, not a footnote. Okay? At the end of the Perak, this happens a lot in Chumash, where we finish a topic and then we fill in something that was missing. Now, what's, what's the footnote say? Ba'omer asrite fahu. Who needs to know that? Someone later on reading Chumash. Now, that doesn't help us at all, does it? Uh, why? Because we don't know what an A5 is. But if you were living in the time of the Bible, okay, everyone in the Middle East knew what an A5 was. Because an A5 is a standard dry measure. You measured any type of, anything dry was measured uh, as an A5. Uh, now, an A5 is a lot, it's like a bushel. So a, a, um, a daily portion would usually be about a tenth of an A5. But th- there's a metric system, one second, there's a metric system in the Bible for a tenth of an A5, and it's called, no, an Isaron, a metric system. You've heard of the word Isaron? Yeah, that was your question? Yeah, what was the question? Okay. Oh, perfect. Oh, your question, I'll explain your question in one second, right on the mark. Your question is going to solve the problem. Okay. The footnote says, an Omer is a tenth of an Efa. Agreed? Now, an Efa is a, a dry measure. The standard dry measure in the Bible is not just an Efa, a tenth of an Efa. In Hebrew, called an Isaron. So let me all through Chumash on Rosh Chodesh. Remember, Makes sense. And Isaron? No, it's a dry measure. Remember that line in Sefer Tzvarim? You can't have in your in your house two different dry measures, right? One. Saying it's a kilo, but really 0.9. And the other, that's a dry measure. You can't have, that's, that's a, a, a weight. A heavy weight is an even, like you, like in Machina Yehuda. Those things of metal in the old days. 
And a dry measure weight, dry measure, not weight, a dry measure, measure, is called an ephah. Take a look later in Devarim, the end of chapter 20, um, right before Amalek, the end of chapter 25, Perch Hafei Pasek Gimel. They have the laws of, right before Amalek, it's the laws of exact measures. And that Chumash calls a toy, you know, it's when you do that, that's called a toy Hashem. That's something that's discussing in the eyes of God. Now, what do we have here? The word ephah is a dry measure. A tenth of an ephah is an isaron. An omer is a tenth of an ephah, is an isaron, basically. But what's strange? The word isaron is hundreds of times in Chumash. It's the standard dry measure. Only in the desert it's called an omer. Why? Go back to source 2, Pasuk Yudchet. Go back to, remember Omer la Gogolet in Pasuk Tetzayim? What did the Jewish people do? Pasuk Yudchet is key, we'll answer your question. Vayamodu ba'omer. What did they use to measure? An Omer. Now, what is this? Now, does that mean, is this 8 ounces or not? I think this is a 6 ounce cup. I could have a 10 ounce cup. The teachers in the, the Hebrew teachers get a 12 ounce cup. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, but if I'm, if I'm making a cake and it says put in 2 cups of sugar, I don't pick any cup I want in the house. That's a measuring cup. Now, it's, sometimes the same word is used for the utensil and for the measure. And therefore, everyone in the desert had a utensil called a omer, like a negovasso cup. A natla? Got it? Now, what was the maximum volume of that cup? And it's an omer. You follow? But how much should you pick up? As much as you need. You understand the question? Now, the measuring cup, the maximum volume... Was, an, was, was this Omer? This cup was called an Omer. The maximum it holds is eight ounces or a tenth of an ephah. How much did you put up in there? As much as you need. Got it? And that solves all the problems. Yeah. That's right, because no, because no one was that big. No one, no one needed more than a cup. That was, that was the maximum a person could eat in a day. Now, um, now, one last proof, and then we'll get moving on that there must be some connection between this Omer experience and receiving the Torah. Because there's an earlier footnote at the end of the chapter, before that last one, which is, is written later, you know, after, after the Torah is being given. Um, in Pasuk Lamed Gimel, what does Chumash tell us? God told Moshe to tell Aaron, To remember the message and this Nisayon of this Omer experience, they trained us for Har Sinai. What are we told to do? Take a little container of man, how much? An Omer. And put it where? In our national archive. We keep the Luchot Abrit, Luchot Eidut, which is the Ten Commandments, which, but it's a contract between God and His people. And in our national archive, in the Holy of Holies, we have our contract and a little container of man. Like, pretend you walked into the Kodesh Kodeshim and you saw a little can of, uh, or, or pretend you went to the national archive anywhere. And you saw a little can of tuna. No? Like a, a daily ration. You got, what's going on here? But it's telling you there's some connection between the breach between God and His people in Harsinai and the man. Is that clear? They don't need a better proof than that. And that's the man. Um, now, that's the word Omer. And so now that's what the word Omer means. But it's only used, it's unique to the man story. And used there many times. Where's the next time we find Omer in Chumash? Well, it's on the source sheet. In case you don't want to guess. <laughs> in Sefer Vayikra. Earlier we have lots of korbanot beforehand. 
And it's always the word for a dry measure is always going to be in Niseron or a, no, something with Asri Teifa or Shoshasronim. Never the word Omer. Except for one Korban. And that's going to be source B. Say for Vayikra, we have the holidays. Everyone knows them. Moadei Hashem, which are times to meet God. It says as follows. Vayidabra Hashem and Moshe Lemor. When you come to the land, which they hope to come within a year after receiving the Torah, when you come to the land and begin to what? To reap the harvest. What do you do in the temple as a nation? At the beginning of your grain harvest, because I understand when the barley begins, when you begin to reap your, your, your harvest, first it's the barley and then the wheat. What do you bring to God? You bring a korban called Omer. Which is what? It can't be the man anymore. Why? Because the man is gone. And when they get to Israel. We don't need it anymore. It stops. But when you're in the land of Israel, we take the grain that grows, the first barley, and we bring a sacrifice to God called Omer. Why are we calling the sacrifice Omer? It has to be related to man. Is that clear now? That's the most important point, the second most important point of this year. Meaning, there has to be a connection between the man and Sefirah Omer. Why? Because this one word which is barely in, in Tanakh, the word Omer, unique to the man story, all of a sudden it appears in the laws of Sefirah Omer. You almost have to be blind not to realize the connection. Even though no, almost no one ever points it out. Correct? You've been counting Omer your whole lives and didn't realize it's a man. If I'm not mistaken. You thought it was about listening to music or feeling guilty listening to music? No. No. That's this weekend. (laughs) What? It's not. The Omer is the Korban. But why are we calling the Korban Omer? Call it Korban. Call it. it, Why are we calling this Korban Omer? And we're waving in front of God like we're proud of it, like a trophy. Well, what Chumash wants us to realize when we begin our grain harvest, what do we want? What does God want us to do? How often does grain grow in the land of Israel? Well, when does grain grow? But how do you know? How do you know when to fill this mitzvah? There's no date here when to bring the omer. There's no date at all. It says when you. There is a date when. No, we don't. We know what week that is, and what Shabbat means there. No, there's no. There's no. There can't be a lunar date because it's got nothing to do with the moon. It's it's a seasonal date. It has to do with the sun. When you begin the harvest is when you begin the harvest. Who's that depend on? And Father Nature, Mother Nature. Remember? Now, what did ancient man do? Of course there's a grain god. You can't miss him. It might, and there's tons of grain. There's, there's all these nature gods. What's Chumash afraid of? That we're going to be like the Canaanites and we would pray to a grain god for our grain. And when the grain begins to grow every year in the spring, who do you think? The god of grain. Because he, he's helping you. If you don't take him this year, you won't get next year. Now, um, like remembering birthdays. Now, you <laughs> I remember that. Today's my wife's birthday. So I should have forgotten. <laughs> no. um, I didn't forget. Now listen. Listen carefully. How, how often does grain grow in the land of Israel? All the time? If you, you've been here long enough probably. Right? It only grows in the spring. It starts growing. You can harvest it about mid-April. Early April, mid-April can begin the harvest. And it lasts till mid-June. It's about two months. It's been that way from time immemorial. The rest of the year, there's no grain. You follow? How come? How come there's no grain in the summer? No grain in the winter? Therefore, it's only in the spring and you can finish the rest. Now, 
You understand why it grows in the spring? It's this great. No balance between heat and cold and, and rain and water. At the end of the rains in the summer and at the winter, we, it can grow in the spring. God has this um, called a chamsin that dries out the wheat. Remember those hot spells? It's the, wind. the wind. The wind and the dry heat dry out the grain. It's called a chamsin, which some people comes from chamishim. Now, listen carefully. What do we eat the rest of the year if grain only grows during those two months? We store it. Ask Yosef. There's a musical about it, isn't there? Right? You store the grain. Now, in Egypt, you can store a lot more grain because you have more than one. You have, you have, you have water all year long. You have sun all year long. You have, of course, you're going to have a, you have a sun god and a, and a Nile god. Now, in Canaan, you don't have that. And therefore, there's only one season a year that you have grain. And you have to store it till next year. In fact, if, you're making, if, if the kids are coming to you this year for Pesach, right? uh, this coming year for Pesach, what do you have to do? Where, what grain are you going to use to make your matzah? I can't wait for next year. It's not growing yet. You follow? And therefore, back in April, I have to keep in mind that I'm making Pesach this year. And I have to take some of that grain and save it for the whole winter to make matzah next year. What do you call that matzah? Why? Because you have to guard it all year long. Doesn't that make sense now? When you understand the agriculture of Israel, all these laws make perfect sense. Now, what do we do in Chumash? We want to make sure that we thank God for our grain. So what do we do? We do something symbolic. That's what everything in the temple is about. God doesn't need to be fed. We need to bring something symbolic. And what statement are we making? We want to say, God, that even though we're going out to the field and gathering the grain ourselves and doing it all on our own, what are we saying, basically? That the grain, we're going to treat our grain like it is man. Now it makes perfect sense? We're making a, a powerful statement to the nation of Israel that even though we're going to do it on our own, we're going to live b'der chateva, we're going to treat the man, the, we're going to treat the grain that we harvest on our own for these next two months, and we're going to say... Every day, every week, for the seven weeks, as we gar- from the day we begin our harvest till it's over, it takes about two months, it's the seven weeks. We're going to say, every, we're, what are we going to talk about every day? Omer. And if you know your Chumash, what's Omer remind you of? The man experience. And what's it coming to tell you? Even though I do it myself, I'm going to treat it as though God gave it to me. That's not just a theme here, it's a theme throughout Chumash, isn't it? It's called Kochidat Samyadi. Living through, like, what's God say? God's going to help you fight a battle, a war. Who does the fighting? Does God fight or do we fight? We say for Yeshua. We fight and God helps us. So we do it ourselves and treat it as though God did it. Shirat David. It's much easier to sit back and let God do it for you. But that's, that's too miraculous. It's living with nature and treating it like it's a miracle. Okay, now, what, what, number, what was the magic number in Chumash to remind us that God is behind nature ever since Christ was, was number seven? And therefore, don't be surprised if we count seven days and seven weeks. You follow? And when are we going to bring this korban? Who said it before? Mimocharat? Shabbat. Chumash doesn't tell you what Shabbat or what Shabbat means, but now you understand why we use the word Shabbat? Now, Chumash leaves it to the rabbis to decide what day to start. And what days did the rabbi pick to start, counting the Omer? Beautifully. What day of the month did they pick? 16th. The 16th. Now you understand why? Because what day of the month did the month begin falling? On the 16th. Of course, it's a month earlier, a month later, but it's the same idea of the 16th that we start counting the month. Now it makes sense, everything. It's, of course, Chumash is going to say Merachat Shabbat. Of course, we're going to start on the 16th, even though it's Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. But the concept of Shabbat is key to, and that's why you have Shabbat Shabbatot, and then you have seven, and the whole idea of cycle of seven, because it all goes back to the idea that God is behind nature. Now, um, 
Therefore, the Jewish people, every day of the seven-week grain harvest, as they're harvesting the grain, where they talk about every day, Omer, is supposed to remind them of this message. Now, um, there's one other time you have the word Omer in Chumash. One other time, and that's Sorsi uh, in Sefer Tzvarim, right before the Pesukim we talked about before, about Eifah and Eifa. In Sefer Tzvarim, we'll be there in about a week or two, I mean, this week we started, but in, in Parshat Kitetze, in Perach Abdalad, it says like this, Ki tiksor tzachah when you go out in your field again, v'shachachta omer basadeh, we talk about forgetting birthdays, here there's a commandment to forget, which is hard to command, easy to do. Now, you can't command someone to forget. What's Chumash telling you? Leave. You, know, you pretend to forget. You're supposed to forget in the field, what do you forget in the field? What do you mean omer? Say, everyone translated here, Sheaves, bar, whatever it may be. But that's, it, that's irrelevant. You follow? Of course it means this, but it means that. Why the word Omer? When, when Yosef and his brothers are gathering sheaves, there's many other words in Hebrew for a, a sheaf of wheat. But here, in this context, it's called Omer. We'll see why in a minute. Leave it for the poor and the needy. Here's a whole Megill about it. Every Yom Yun, there's a, always five Shurim about it. Right? Now, Miguel Ruth. Isn't a story about that? Same time of year? No. Let's go back to Mount Sinai. Why these two laws of the man, how do they prepare us for receiving the Torah? Now, in general, in Jewish law, there's two categories. And there's a big theme in Chumash, which is so beautiful, is that most religions are only and comes out in Judaism and says, not only is there, of course there's but the main mitzvah of Judaism is how you treat your fellow man is also Ben Adam Lamakom. You follow? The Ben Chavero, in essence, is a wider, is an extension of Ben Adam Lamakom, because I think there's a Medrash that says that man was made in God's image. If there's something godly, or is that a Pasuk? Right? <laughs> back, that's back in Parakalif again, isn't it? That knowing that God is made, that the man is made in God's image, it means the way you treat your fellow man is basically how your respect of your fellow man is part of your respect of God. These two laws, now it's not taking on Saturday, that's for sure your belief in God. Now it's waiting, taking double on Friday, waiting, not taking on Saturday, that shows you belief in, that's a reminder that it's coming from God. Because if it came every day, including Shabbat, you'd call it nature. Now it's a miracle that happens every day is what we call nature. So therefore I need to stop it once every seven days in an unnatural way to remember that this isn't nature, but it's, it's God. How about the other law about taking as much as you need? What's the logic behind that? So you can say it's also belief that tomorrow will have food as well. But I think there's more than that. It's called, um, it's called, uh, called hoarding. It's called, um, you ever been to a, a, a Kiddush and Shul? Okay. <laughs> you have to be, what's called, you have to be in position. They use that in, Because <laughs> there might, you know, it's not your fault that the person donated the Kiddush, you know, didn't donate enough money or, you know, and, and didn't put out enough food. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You deserve your, your three helpings. And therefore you have to make sure that you get yours. Because there might not be doubles for you later on. You don't worry about other people because they don't exist unless you need them. You follow? <laughs> now, therefore, Amis has to be trained as the first thing that there's enough, you follow? It's called no hoarding. And if you're going to be a nation, you're a nation of slaves just coming out of Egypt. You're hungry. What would happen in a normal nation? All of a sudden, everyone's starving and there's food coming down from heaven. Everyone, and you're about to receive the Torah. Before you receive the Torah, let's see if you can act as a group. 
you can share, you can do things. If you know modern day, this week's, you know, last couple of weeks, and how everyone's sharing everything, working together, that's a sign of a strong nation. That's a nation that can receive the Torah. Therefore, the whole man experience, one second, the whole man experience is going to be part of that collective understanding that we're a nation serving God and we have to respect one another, which is the prereq for receiving the Torah. So when the man fell, was there only enough for one omer per person or was there tons and you just were only supposed to take Well, that we don't know, but what should you assume? <laughs> that was, that there was only you should assume there's enough just for everybody. Okay. Yeah. And that's whether God has, whether the caterer has more in the kitchen, that's not your problem. You don't have to sign up for him. That's his problem. But you as a person have to think, maybe there's not enough for everybody. Now, that's going to come up later on. We're going to, the same topic will come up in a minute by, by Shemitah. Now, understand where we are now? Now we have a beautiful law um, about when you harvest, not only as a nation, we bring Omer as a nation. As individuals, as we're harvesting in the field itself, like in Megillat Ruth, everyone has to leave over Omer in the field. You follow? Because what does a farmer need to feel like? Right? He has to remember that there's... No, it's the farmer now turned into God. In the desert, everyone was the Geri Everyone in the desert had, didn't have land on their own. And in the land of Israel, some of us have land, some of us are wealthy, some of us aren't. Therefore, when you're the landowner and you're harvesting your field like Boaz, you have to remember there's other people out there who don't own land. Therefore, you're commanded to leave over Omer in the field. Now, the word Omer, that's every time in Chumash. You follow? Now, you understand why Chumash uses the word Omer in this context of Shechacha? Want to take a wild guess what other book in Tanakh the word Omer is in? They didn't give it away already? In Megillat Roots. Remember what she's collecting? The Omarim. Remember what Boaz says? Even between the Omarim? It's in Perak Bet in the beginning. The source sheet didn't fit it, but we, and we didn't have time for it. But take a look later on. It works perfect. And that's about it. it, it that's, I think we covered it every time. There's one Pasuk in Eov that a, um, the, what do you call it? The, the hungry people, Urevim Nesu Omer. Maybe it's at the end of the page. No, it's on the Hebrew one. Um, the um, hungry people are waving Omer, like it's like a literal thing, like it's like they found a tr- like they found gold. Um, and a mer is someone who who um, picks up all the leftovers after the kiddush. <laughs> that's that's a mer. You understand a mer? Yeah. Now, and in giving, it could be that if you treat someone and just barely leave them alive, that's litamerbo. Remember, avitamerba tachat. You don't treat someone that way. You know, you don't treat a slave and just barely let him stay alive. That's, that's, no, it might, that might be related to the same short, to the same root. Now, what I just told you, Moshe Rabbeinu says something very similar in Sefer Tvarim. Again, that's um, source D. You can, it's, I'd, I'd prefer you look at it in your Chumash uh, to see inside. Look in Sefer Tvarim. Perachet. The whole idea that the purpose of the desert experience was the training for Muhammad Har Sinai, but also to prepare you not only for Muhammad Har Sinai, but prepare you to life as a Jew in the land of Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to say in Perachet. Um, in Perachet it begins, in Dvarim, with a reminder to keep all the laws, Kol HaMitzvah, Sher Nochim, Mitzavchad, Kishmur Nasot, etc. And then Pasuk Bet. It's on the source sheet as well. V'zachartad kol haderach hasher olichacha Hashem elokecha zarbaim shana bamidbar, laman anotcha le... Here we go, lasotcha. Ladat hasher bavchad tishmur mitzvotavim lo. Why did I give you this desert experience as an Isayon? The word's right there and the concept. Why? To know, will you keep my laws, yes or no? I can't not only give you the Torah until you're ready for it, I can't give you the land of Israel until you're ready to keep the laws. 
And as soon as God realizes that this generation is not going to keep the laws when they come in, what does he decide to do? Not, no, he can't. That'll be a chilo Hashem to kill them all at once. We have to we'll let them die naturally and bring up the next generation and get them ready. It's not a, the sin of the bradlim is the straw that breaks the camel's back. By nasoti, remember Adam Remember by the Raglim? They tested me ten times. It's, what's God saying? They failed these tests. And what did God see? They're not ready to be God's people because if I give them the land now and help them conquer the land, when they come in, they'll be just like the Canaanites. They're not ready to be my people. I have to bring up another generation. It's a consequence, not a punishment. Now, what's Moshe say next? What did he do? Pasuk Gimel, Isn't that exactly the share? Moshe is saying, the reason I gave you this experience of man in the desert for these last 40 years is to train you to know that you're not living to eat, but you're eating to live. And when and the man I'm giving you is to teach you that food comes from God. And therefore, when you come into the land of Israel, here, look, look what happens next. Um, you should know that the way I'm treating you in the desert and training you is like a father in the old days used to treat his, child, his kid, you know, Make it, make a living on your own. I'm not going to give you everything you want. I'm not going to do your homework for you. You figure it out. Not because he's being mean. He doesn't have time. No, because he, because if, if you do your homework for your kid, it'll never be independent. Therefore, God trained us in the desert to be independent. Yeah. But if we're creating a foundational value of thinking about the other and this co- collective cohesive whole, yeah. is it enough that I say, um, there might, you know, I won't hoard, or do you have to look beside you and say, I see this person is having difficulty? That that'll be other laws in Torah. Yeah, yeah. That'll be the next step. That's that's for Samachta Bachagecha. So does that have to happen before Matan Torah? So we'll see. No, no. That they start and then the laws. When get to land of Israel, that's the next step, which is half the laws in Sefer Dvarim, which we'll see. That will be Shmita in a minute. Now, um, Moshe continues. He says as follows. Um, why is God doing all this to keep his laws? Why? Pasuk Zayin. God's bringing you to a good land. Look in Pasuk Chet. It looks familiar. Eretz Chita Besora. The seven species. Every land has everything you need. Okay. Pasuk Yud. Famous. What do you do when you come in the land? You eat. But who do you have to thank for the food? God. And what bracha do we make when we eat bread? Hamotzi. Alright. Remember the man? The desert, lechem in Hashemayim, and where is the water coming from? Water used to come from the ground, and bread from the heaven, in the land of Israel. It's exactly the opposite. You follow? To train you. Why? What's the danger? Listen what Chumash says. Be careful, you might forget God. What will cause you... Why didn't you forget God in the desert? You might not listen to Him, but you can't miss Him. Because you can't live without him. In the desert, it's crystal clear that God is there. Because without him, you have nothing. In the land of Israel, hey, you can get away without him. Why? Because I have nature. I can grow things on my own. Pento chava sabata. What's so bad about this? About wealth and prosperity. Pasuk Yadal is danger. And Pasuk Midbar. What's the danger? There's a danger of prosperity in the land of Israel it'll cause you to forget God. So there's one easy solution. Don't be prosperous. And stay in the desert. Or without getting in trouble, stay in Kolo. 
Let your father-in-law be God. Now, there's, there's one, one solution, which is very classic, is to be a nobody. Right? And, and because what's the big danger? Look in Pasuk Yitzayim, it's famous. Chayu here meaning, like, like, all this wealth and prosperity, I did it myself. So if that's the danger of prosperity, there's an easy solution. Don't be prosperous. And always be in need. And hope someone else will beat God for you. Chumash says no. What's Chumash saying? God wants you to, to be a somebody who thinks he's a nobody. Understand? You, you have to be a somebody, but in your prosperity, take that prosperity and share it with others. And those are the rest of the laws of Hamish. And that's what you were talking about before. But of course there's a danger in coming to Israel. What I do to remember that, I have all these, we call them halachot, or mitzvot, or minhagim, or customs, but like counting the Omer. We have constant laws, not telling us to be a nobody, reminding us to be a somebody, and it's good to be a somebody, but a somebody who takes what, he, what the blessings God gives them, and it not just thanks God for them, but does something with it. And that's going to be the, that's going to be Sukkot, I'll see later, that's the rest of the holidays. Now, so that's source D. Now, just a quick review, you follow what we did so far? Because we didn't talk about Shemitah yet, did we? <laughs> we had 15 minutes still for Shemitah. So listen carefully. What we've done now, I think, makes sense. It explains the word Omer. What, explain why we have seven weeks and seven days for Omer. The, the cycle of seven. Um, explain why the word Omer is used. Explains this whole idea of, um, of the connection. Now, I guess there would be connection now between counting Sphira and Shavuot, wouldn't there be? Would that make sense now? What do the Bible critics always come and tell you? The Shavuot was a agricultural holiday, had nothing to do with the Torah being given. Who heard that? Somewhere. Remember, they always say that because when you read Chumash, it's it's a it's a beautiful agricultural holiday which everyone has. Of course, we have one also. It's got nothing to do with the Torah being given. If you follow Chumash, you can't miss it now, right? The whole reason, the the way we celebrate Shavuot is with Omer. We count the seven weeks, which they taught you growing up, and you fell for it that you're getting ready for our Sinai. But it is you're getting ready because the first Omer experience was. The whole concept of Omer was getting you ready, socially and spiritually ready, to receive the Torah. And therefore, in preparation forever, as a Jewish people, right, when we count the seven weeks and we talk about Omer, what do we do at the end of the Omer? We remember Matan Torah, because that's when God gave it. It wasn't by chance. It got orchestrated, so it should come out the same time of year. No. It's like he orchestrated that we come out of Egypt in the spring. It's not by chance. He wants us to come out in the spring because there's something about the spring that reminds us about what redemption and freedom is about. Now, this idea is nice, but now we have a problem. It was good for the first generation. But if this is true, what should happen in the future? Shouldn't every generation have to go through this? Right? Go, no, it's, shouldn't we have to train again? Right? Shouldn't we have to train? I'll give you an example. Um, there's all these messages you learn about, um, you t- but you have to be nice to, this, to, the, to the stranger because you were a stranger in Egypt. So we suffered as a nation in Egypt to teach us sensitivity. So why doesn't every generation have to suffer like that? Well, Chumash has a solution. What do we do every year? Eh? We have a holiday called Passover, which we remember not only what happened, but why it happened, to be resensitized every year. And God says, if you do it thematically and internalize that message, you can do it through ritual, if you internalize the message. If you don't internalize that message, what am I going to do? I'm going to send you out. Remember the Tochacha? 
and you have to go through it again. And then you'll learn from your suffering. If I can do any sayon thematically through, through halakha, through mitzvot, then I don't need to suffer again. If I don't get the message, because all through the Bible, when we have trouble, the Nevi never blame it on our enemies. Except the Malek, which is a different topic. We don't blame the Babylonians for the temple being destroyed. It's, we call Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. Nebuchadnezzar Abdi. We don't blame Ashur for taking out the ten tribes. Ashur was working for God. We blame ourselves. At least the Nevim do. The same thing with... and Now, and we don't thank Koresh for giving us back the land. We thank God. We don't thank Balfour. You follow? We see the hand of God behind events. And God talks us. The idea is, if something goes right or wrong, it's, it's God behind the events. And we don't blame it on other, we blame it on ourselves if something goes wrong. Now, the problem is, what, what do we do wrong? That's already a different question. Those are different. It's what someone else did is wrong. <laughs> it's not for us, but at least, at least we realize someone's, we did something wrong. Someone's it's a madrega. Yeah. <laughs> First you can say it's their fault, the guy's fault. Then you can say it's our fault, but it's them. No. That's why nothing ever gets solved. Now back to, um, ah, so what do we need? It would be nice, the same thing, this Omer experience is so nice, but why don't we do it every, all the time? Well, once a year, what do we do? In the beginning of the harvest season, I remember it. But Mamad Harsinai would be nice to remember. Wouldn't it be nice to remember Mamad Harsinai on a regular basis? Is there a law like that or not? Right? Do we ever really commemorate Mamad Harsinai and sort of relive it? When? You can say Shvo, but that's like in... I want in Chumash. Every time you take the Torah. Uh, hakel. Remember that law of Hakel? It's the last, it's the last mitzvah of the Bible. It's source... Um, yeah, next source, E. It could, that's why you guessed it. Okay. <laughs> okay. At the end of Chumash, there's a beautiful mitzvah called Hakel. I'm sure everyone knows, you can't miss it, that Hakel is reliving Mamad Harsinai. We read, we, the nation gathers together, the entire nation. Um, we gather, where do we gather? We gather in the Beit HaMikdash. And everyone comes and we read the Torah in public and everyone, why, why, Every year, that's too often. Every seven. every seven years is nice. Of course, a nice cycle of seven again. It makes sense. But why don't we do it on Shavuot? What holiday do we do it on? Sukkot. Right? Sukkot. On Sukkot. But what Sukkot? You know, what seven-year cycle do we attach this to? That's what's... I'll, let me explain this clearly. Okay? When do we do Hakel? Chumash, very beautifully, in its final commandment, tells us at the end of the Shemitah cycle, and all that Parshim say it's the end of the Shemitah cycle, during Sukkot's time, we gather together and read the Bambad Har Sinai. Now, thinking of Sukkot, what's, what's the historical reason for Sukkot? To remember what? To remember, not to remember, yeah, to remember the purpose of the desert experience. Not that God took care of us, but why, why put us through that experience? Now, why did God put us through that experience? To remember the prosperity should not get to our head. Remember we saw that theme in, in, in Parachet and Devarim? God gave, put us through the desert to train us for the, for the dangers of prosperity in the land of Israel. So we shouldn't say, Now, if I want to remember that once a year, I can remember every day, but I want to make a holiday about it, what would be a good time of year to remember? Now, we remember Passover on the anniversary of coming out of Egypt. But there's no anniversary of being 40 years in the desert. Because that was... was and, and t- there's enough holidays in Tishrei as it is. 
<laughs> so why why am I putting why am I remembering the desert experience on Sukkot? Well, what time of year is Sukkot? Which harvest? That's the fruit harvest. That's the end of the harvest. The harvest season begins with the grain the first seven weeks, and then in the summer, like now, there's that. Go shopping now. I mean, ask Rami Levy. There's there's um or in the shuk. This is fruit season. Grapes, palm, everything's growing now. At the end of the gra- at the end of the fruit harvest, it's called the kites, or the end of the thing, which is September, or chag, 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 that's 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 Chag Asif when we gather our fruit. Now, when what time of year is the greatest danger of prosperity getting to your head? At the end of the fiscal year, when you bring in your when you tally all your harvest and you dry everything out. Therefore, the time of year when you're most likely to say Kochi Samyadi is when. It's Chagasif. And therefore, what's God say? Exactly in your Chagasif, when you're bringing in everything and feeling so proud of yourself, what do you have to remember? Not that God took you out of it. Why put you through the desert? Now, so this makes sense? We just, we just explained the Shosh Regalim in a nutshell. From the agricultural side. And how many days is Sukkot again? Seven days. Now you understand why. Of course it's going to be seven because it relates again to nature and how you relate to nature. Now, therefore, Sukkot is a good time of year to remember that message. Why Shemitah in Sukkot here? It's going to be easy. Right? If I wanted to relive my Mount Harsinai, if, let's say I wanted to do it Hollywood style, right? what would I need to do? If I want to relive as a nation my Mount Harsinai, what would I need to do? Right? I want to gather everyone together. Where should we go to? We should go to Mount Sinai. would be nice. And what should we eat? Oh, you catch on yet or not? Listen carefully. If I want to relive my Manhar Sinai, I should go to Mount Sinai, right? And gather them together. And what should we eat in preparation? Eat man. Now, it's not going to be easy to move everyone out of the homes, right? To go to Sinai. We might not even own it. It might be another country. <laughs> it might be. Right? Where am I going to get man from? No, they can't just order that. Well, the, the Har Sinai problem is solved. The Ramban solved that for us. Because Ramban in his introduction to Laws of the Mishkan explains beautifully that what in essence is the Mishkan it's not a place for... It's, we need a symbol. We need a symbol of Har Sinai. Remember the Ramban? It's a famous Ramban. You can't miss it. He's, he's 100% right. The Mishkan is a mini Har Sinai. And I take all the themes of Mamad Har Sinai. And I, I, we never leave Har Sinai. We take it with us. And that becomes the Mishkan, chapter 25 in the Ramban in the beginning of Parshat Shumah. Explanation, you can't disagree with him. He's right on the mark. He points out all the parallels. Therefore, I don't need to go back to Mamad Sinai and go to the Mishkan. Well, the Mishkan, after a while, became permanent and called a Mikdash. In fact, the name, Chumash has a name for him, Hamakom Ashriv Harashem, the Shakin Shmosham. Where did we do Hakel? Hamakom Ashriv Harashem, the Shakin Shmosham. Beat the Mikdash or the Mishkan. So, we do go to Har Sinai, because Har Sinai is basically the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? So, we got one problem solved. What are we going to eat? We need man. Yeah. How are we going to do? The year before, the summer before Hakel, what are we eating? Shemitah. Remember? Remember all the special garbage cans and stuff? I mean, Shemitah cans? Now, what, what's really happening? What do people, what are you supposed to eat during Shemitah? What? No, no. Didn't say that. What? I, instead, I think that has to do with the Yovel when it's, when it's three years together. No. From the previous year. No. You eat this year. Shabbat I think it's in the source sheet. Yeah. Yeah, look, look in, in source F. But, 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 but,
You eat the fruit. Right? Things grow, don't they? If you leave the field alone, but they grow on their own. They'll grow on their own. They grow fine. They might you you can't plant new trees and you can't work it, but things grow beautifully on their own. But what's the law during Shemitah? You allowed to eat the fruit? It's a mitzvah to eat the fruit. Yeah, was, the fruit you're supposed to eat the fruit. You're supposed to eat the fruit. What do you mean hefker? It belongs to everybody. It doesn't belong to you. You own the land and the tree. You don't own the fruit. Because it's like the mind. Yeah. So what do you have? Listen, what do the laws of Shemitah create? Think of it logically. I have a situation now where I have tons and tons of food. There's food everywhere. There's an enormous amount of food, but it's growing wild and free. Who does it belong to? To everybody. When I take a wild, what halacha tells you? How much can you take during Shemitah? As much as you need. Okay, remember? How many, enough for two or three sudot? That was, the laws of Shemitah create create as a, a economic situation which is identical to the man. Where what I, I food everywhere. Remember the supply? Remember your question before about the supply before? The laws of Shemitah create a, an economic situation where I'm in the land of Israel. I'm preparing for, getting ready for hakel at the end of the at the end of the summer. And the whole summer beforehand, there's food everywhere, and we, everyone has this challenge: what all that food everywhere? It's your own food, and what can't you do? You can't take it. <laughs> you can only take as much as you need, and anyone can take as much as, they, as as much as they need from anyone's field. You follow? And I've created a collective experience which is almost identical to our collective experience in the desert of the man. You follow? Now, if that's true, then what I'm claiming is is that the laws of Shemitah, basically, the laws of Shemitah um, create a man-type experience. And if the man experience was preparation, the man on the Sinai was preparation for our Sinai, then the same way the Shemitah experience is preparation for our Sinai. Now, you'd expect Kumish at least to allude to something like that, wouldn't you? That there's some connection between Shemitah and Harsinai? Which was the title? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I think we have a solution for the famous question. I'll explain the question for those who aren't familiar. Okay? It's so, like, um, there was a, a movie one time. Remember, all these people used to watch them? So they had the, um, um, the English said, uh, the English, the, the, the voice said, what's that have to do with the price of apples in China or something like that? Or the price of tea in China? There's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the Hebrew said, <laughs> So I'll, I'll explain. For those who aren't familiar, I'll explain. In Perachafe, look in your Chumash, in Perachafe. Oh, by the way, um, Perachafe is so parallel to, to Perachafe in Vayikra, chapter 20, Parshat Bahar, is right after Parshat Emor. And every Balkori gets mixed up. Because the wording is almost the same. Sheva, the wording of Shemitah and the wording of Omer is almost identical. Sheva Shabtot Shanim, Sheva Shanim, Sheva Pamim. Remember, count seven weeks? Seven weeks, seven, and then the 50th is special. It's, it's almost identical, and they're right next to each other. They're one chapter apart. Perachafei begins in a very strange way. How does it begin? By Dabra Hashem El Moshe Sinai Lemor. Now, what verse does Chumash usually use to begin um, any topic? By Dabra Hashem Moshe Lemor. 99% of the time, 95% of the time. Never ever does it say, By Dabra Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemor. Now, except here. Now, that could be, that's strange. So it could be this is the only time that God spoke to Moshe in Har Sinai, which wouldn't make sense, because <laughs> that all, the Torah was all given from Har Sinai. That's exactly what Rashi asks. So it's coming to teach you something. Now, and therefore, what, what's the assumption? Now, it's, it would, if, if Chumash uses the word Har Sinai in the opening sentence, there must be some intrinsic connection between the laws of Shemitah that are about to follow and Har Sinai. 
Now, there's tons of different possibilities, but I think now this, we have this simple answer. What is Chumash alluding to? That these laws of Shemitah right, relate not just to the mountain of Sinai, but the Brit at Har Sinai. Now, why would I say there's something covenantal in, in, in Parshat Bahar? Right? Does Bahar lead up to a covenant? Okay. Because the Dibur that begins in Bahar Sinai goes to where? It continues. It's two different Parshiot, but we read them together. But it's the same Dibur that begins in Perachavay continues all the way to the end of Perachavav, which is the Dibur Habrit, right? Which is, which is the Brit, which is Brit Chorev, which is the Tochacha. In other words, it's the introduction to the Brit of Brit Sinai, which some Parshim say was the Brit that happened, that this Brit was the Brit when they said Nasev Some Parshim say, I think Sforno says, Baikach it's Sefer Abrit, either Sforno or Chizkuni. Check it later on. Remember when they say Nasev in 24-7 in Shemot? Moshe takes Sefer Abrit, reads it in public, and the people say Nasev So there's a different argument what they read, but some people say they read the, the, um, the Tochacha in Parshat Bahar, which would make sense. And that was, this, we're doing it now, we're going to do it every year in the future. I mean, every seven years in the future. Now, the, um, if that's the case, then what we're suggesting is the reason for saying Har Sinai in the opening line, my Shemitah, it's Har Sinai, could be for exactly for that reason. What's Chemish alluding to? That the laws of Shemitah relate to Har Sinai. And what do we do at Har Sinai? Har Sinai sets that receiving laws, but as a nation, taking upon ourselves to be a nation representing God. How do we represent God? By keeping the mitzvot. And we have two types of mitzvot. The classic ritual things, which every religion has. And what's special about Judaism is that 80% of the mitzvot is and, and exactly when we remember Mamad Har Sinai, um, we talk about laws that all come to emphasize this idea of collective, caring about the other person, realizing that other people exist. And that all began with Shemitah, with the man, in Perak Tetzai, and it continues to, to Shemitah every seven years. Question, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry, I had a question. Good, yeah. Someone else had a question before? So I can summarize real quick. Just drink an omer of, of water. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me summarize so make sure all the points were clear. I'm, I'm pretty sure everything's on the, on the source sheet. Um, what I tried to show you is that we took different concepts that we've all grown up with, counting the omer, svirat omer which we all grew up with, which is that beautiful mitzvah. Everyone heard about the man also beforehand. Probably didn't realize the word Omer was by man. We have the laws of Hakel, the laws of Shemitah, etc. And I wanted to show you that they're all part of one big major theme of Chumash that points to the uh, deeper understanding of what it means to be Jewish and what Mamad Har Sinai is all about. And therefore, when you, when you want to put a... In the summary, you want to put in what they do in these Tanakhim The whole... Uh, what's sort of happening at Herzog is that there's a new generation that... Uh, about not so new anymore, second, third generation, that um, after re- returning to Israel, I think it was about 100 some years ago, the Jewish people slowly started coming back. We mentioned Balfour before. Um, there's a slow movement of returning to the land of Israel, but when you study Chumash, or Chumash and Navi, in the land of Israel itself, when you live the land, and you see the agriculture, and you see what's going on, and you see the challenges, um, a lot of things that used to be obscure in Chumash, because they weren't part of our day-to-day life, all of a sudden come to life. And therefore, what, what's happening is part of a, uh, I think, maybe called Gula, where we're taking um, ancient mitzvot and texts, we've been keeping on the back, sort of in the freezer, uh, for thousands of years of Jewish history. And to us, Omer usually just meant, you know, no movies or no weddings or, or getting ready for our scene or no shaving and things like that. Uh, um, laundry you can do during this. It's three weeks. Laundry is okay during the seven weeks. You can shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
but when we understand, when we're coming to the land of Israel and, and see its life and see the challenges it has, um, so all these laws that used to be a bit obscure now are sort of also being redeemed as well and give us meaning. Now, how to translate that to um, the laws of war is very similar. That's why we, remember that phrase we read today? Many people think that that's about war. Many people, because the word chayo. Chayo means abundance of anything. Like a gibor chayo. Who's that? Boaz. Remember what was the name? Or Eshet Chayo. You know who wrote Eshet Chayo, don't you? Eshet Chayo? It was Nemuel. It's the last parak in, in Mishle. But it's... Uh, take a look in the last parak in Mishle. From the... Eshet Chayo begins in Pasachet. Look at Pasach Aleph. It's your homework. You'll, you'll find something interesting. <laughs> now, listen. is applies to agriculture and economy just like it does to the army. Meaning what? If God gives you the ability to do something, to be prosperous or anything, I can say I did it myself or I can sit back and let God do it for me. Now, it's a much lower level to sit back and let God do miracles for you. It's a much higher level to live with nature and treat it as though it's a miracle. And that's the message of the Omer. It started with the training, started with the man. I need to remind myself all the time. But to live with nature and treat nature like it's a miracle, that's a much higher level. You're on a low level when I need a miracle. That a miracle could be a jump start. But the ability to live with the the rabbis say that Shirat David was a much higher level than Shirat Ayam. Of course you're going to sing God's praises when you saw the sea splitting, when God does the fighting. When you do the fighting like David did, when David does the fighting on his own, but sees the hand of God in the fighting, that's Shirat David, that's a much higher level. So in the same way we're talking about nature and seeing the God in agriculture, in the same way when we're fighting battles, we have to fight. There's a commandment to fight. Our children are, you know, are fighting the, the war. So we do it on our own. We have to do it as much as we can. But at the same time, recognizing that God's behind those events. So we can take the same message that we saw in the economy behind the Omer and use it for our own understanding. And also, it affects our tefillot because we know that the outcome of the battle is in the hand of God, but we have to be worthy of God helping us. And to be worthy, you know, it's, we have to keep the mitzvot of this chayel to be worthy of the, uh, the uh, outcome of the, the other meaning of chayel, meaning, meaning war. So Mir Sashem, it should be a Rachatu is a blessing we'll, um, that we think we had the tefillah in the beginning, but hopefully it will be a tefillah that will be successful in whatever we're doing. <laughs> we can send.